I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 5. So if you turn in your Bible there, uh, there are some Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, uh, you can use that Bible. Uh, If it's one of those white Bibles, feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you. Um, We believe that uh, God's Word changes lives, and so we want you to have it. Uh, The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of Jesus spoken to his disciples that they might change and transform hearts. And so we're going to pray and ask that God would change us as well. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. Out of the seven billion human beings on this planet, one third of them have no idea that there is a Jesus or that you spoke and it was recorded in your word. And so, Father, they don't have the opportunity that we have. We pray for them that that messengers and missionaries would go and take the word to them and that they would have the joy of knowing. Father, there's a third of the world that has the Bible in their language, and yet they are not being engaged by some. And as you speak and say that a certain kind of person, a certain attitude of the heart, a certain behavior is a blessed behavior, one which brings the smile of God, they don't know this because no one's teaching them. And so we pray for them, too, that that would change. And then the last third, Lord, the Bible is in their language. It's in their culture. They have had Christianity rise and fall in their culture. Perhaps the the Bible is in every hotel room and in every hospital room, and yet so many pass by it, ignoring what's being said. And if somebody would just engage and say, this is the truth, and and they 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 would hear it, their lives would be changed. And so, Father, we pray as we are in that group that can so easily neglect your word, we may have seven copies of it in our home, and yet it lies untouched. And so we, we fail to hear you speaking. You speak, you speak clearly, you speak loudly, but we have tuned you out. 
We pray that you would break up the hard ground of our hearts. Nourish us with living water. Teach us. Feed us from your word. Father, Jesus has told us what it means to be blessed. And to be blessed is the greatest thing in the world. And so we want to know more, and we ask that you would teach us now. We thank you for your word, and we pray your blessing on our time in it. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, Hide and Seek, Jim Dobson talks about the most valuable currency in the world. And he's not talking about um, actual money. He's talking about human commodities, um, what, what we value in others. And he says that there are three coins. Uh, the gold coin is beauty. Uh, the beautiful, they don't have to do anything except exist, and people admire them and, and give them things and take photos of them. There's this little video, um, if you watch the Super Bowl, this is not from the Super Bowl, but there's a little video of, of uh, Oprah Winfrey saying to Beyonce, I think it's Oprah, you, who is it? Whoopi. Whoopi Goldberg saying to Beyonce, and if you don't know who Beyonce is, then... Well, maybe good for you, but, um, but the world knows who Beyonce is. This is Whoopi saying, you are Beyonce. And she's about to say something else, and Beyonce says, thank you. Right? Beautiful, famous. She doesn't have to do anything, right? People just, just, just want to take pictures of her and interview her. The second coin is uh, the silver coin of intelligence. If you're not lucky and blessed enough to be beautiful, but you're smart, then people want you to work for them or invent things for them. Uh, they, will, they will commoditize intelligence and pay greatly for it. The third coin, the bronze coin, uh, Jim Dobson says, is if you are funny, right? You, you have to be beautiful, funny, or intelligent, or you don't rank in the world's economy. The world has no use for you. And what he does throughout the rest of his book is to say that though the world finds value in people there, there is more value to be found, bringing the, the message of, of the, the worth of every single human being. In the theology of Jesus' day, I do believe that, that, the, that the structure of their worldview is very similar to our contemporary worldview. They thought that those who were privileged, those who were on the top of society, were the ones who were blessed. And so they believed that the rich were blessed, that the famous were blessed, that those who were well-dressed were to be listened to and respected, that those who had influence and power because of their position, they were the ones who were blessed and whom God was pleased with. And I believe we believe this to this day. When you ask young people nowadays what they want out of life, many of them say they desire to be famous. They desire to be known, whether that's just being known for something they did that shows up on YouTube, or whether it is that they have a, a global empire where, where people want them because they're good at sports or because they sing well. You look at the masses of people who come out to try out for American Idol, that they might be at the top and that people would love them and respect them. You've got 15 and 16-year-olds coming and, and trying out and saying, like, I've wanted this for my whole life. You know, this is my dream. And you're like, 
you, you are, really? Like that's, you've wanted this your whole life and in, in all your years of experience. Because they think that if they, if they reach the top of the ladder or the pinnacle, then they will be blessed, secure. But Jesus turns this worldview on its head when he begins the Sermon on the Mount. If you, if you think through the gospel, if you read through it, um, and we have worked through it, but if you're, this is your first time here, don't worry, we're not going to talk about a bunch of stuff that, um, that you've, you've not read. We're going we're to focus on what the text that's right in front of us. Um, but if you work through the gospel, you'll see that Jesus has not said or taught very much up, at, up until this point. He's, he's begun preaching his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now he's going to begin to lay out his program, his ethics, his teaching. And the Bible says he opens his mouth and he teaches them by saying something revolutionary, different and distinct from what everyone believes and thinks. This is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. What does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's take that first word, blessed. To be, to be blessed, what does it mean? Every now and again, I'll run into someone, I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm blessed. What, 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 what is that to communicate to me? What, what am I supposed to understand by that? Biblically speaking, to be blessed is to be walking in the goodness of the benefits of knowing God, of, of being in a relationship of favor with God, of, of being in right relationship with Him. If you are married, you know when you have failed in your relationship with your spouse, right? Right? You know that, that the relationship is, is not right, uh, whether it's because you are, you are being told that the relationship is not right or you are being ignored or, you know, there's some passive-aggressive behavior going on. You know that things aren't right. I'm the passive-aggressive one. Um, anyway, the, the, um, the, we, we know when our relationship is right or not. But it's a little more difficult in the world where, where we have circumstances that we encounter where God does not regularly show up and appear and tell us how we're doing. We don't get a quarterly report card, right, that says you're blessed or you're not. And so Jesus is going to teach and he's going to say, this is what it means to be blessed. He's going to educate his people. The Bible says in Psalm 1, it, it gives a definition of, of blessedness. This is the beginning of, a, of the, the, uh, the heart book of the Old Testament, of what it means to be a worshiper of God, the, the psychological and spiritual, emotional experience of the believer. And Psalm 1 begins by saying, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't listen to wicked people. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is that, that stuff you find in your, uh, your bowl of popcorn when you're done, you know, and all that's left is, is seeds, right? There's that little kind of husk 
thing. They would, they would take the seeds and they would, they would throw them up in the air and the wind would blow the husks away and no one would care where they go. That's what chaff is. That's what wicked people who are out of the, out of the fellowship, uh, out of this relationship with God, that's what, that's what they're like. But, but the wise... The blessed, rather, are those, they are rooted in place and they bear fruit in life. Therefore, it says, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. To be blessed is to be in right relationship with God and to be enjoying the benefits of that relationship. This is how the New Testament describes blessedness. Think about Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Think about that. If you are in right relationship with God, what what is being said here is that all things are working for your good. That is a blessing. That no matter what circumstance you are in, you might think like, that's really bad. No, this is helping you, shaping you. That's a promise from God. Another blessing is that our fractured relationship, the Bible says that our sins, our failings cause a separation between us and God. Psalm 32.2 says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. God speaks of blessing his people by making an arrangement with them that cannot be broken. That, that will not be rescinded. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Psalm 144, verse 15 says, Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. That's what it means to be blessed to be in right relationship with God and to have all things working for our good and to, and to not be in a place where we will be separated from him, where God's not counting our sins against us. Well, who's blessed? Who, who qualifies as being blessed? Notice what the verse goes on to say. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not a future blessing to be held out till some future time that, 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 that not to be enjoyed right now. Someday, maybe, this blessing will be experienced. It says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Present tense, now. To be poor in spirit, whatever that means, we'll talk about that in a second, is to experience the, the smile, the blessing of God in the now. There are only two options with regard to our relationship with God, according to the Bible. Um, the, the image that, that comes to mind is, is that on one side of God, we are, if we are here in the state of blessedness, then we see the face of God, the smile of God, and we enjoy all the benefits of, of being in relationship with him. It's like, it's like experiencing that, that, that wonderful feeling that you have when you come outside and the clouds move and the sun, you just feel the heat and you think, yes good, you feel warm and wonderful, and it's like, I'm alive, and birds are chirping, and everything's great, right? But over here, on the other side of the relationship, is darkness, and fire, and gloom, because, because God, we either exist in a state of, of, of peace with him, and blessedness, or we are at war with him. 
There is no people whom God are in, is indifferent to. God doesn't, God doesn't run on indifference. We are either in right relationship or wrong relationship. We are either his allies, his children, or his enemies. That's what the Bible says. And to experience the forever frown of God is to be separated from him and to enjoy no blessings forever. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That blessing can be enjoyed now. It's to be believed and experienced and delighted in. Well, what are we talking about here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some Bible translations use the words poverty of spirit, poor in spirit. What does this mean? What, what kind of, if you're like, okay, blessed are in the present tense, that's good. I want that. I want to be that. Good for you. Okay, let's, let's put, let's put some, some content on what it means to be poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit or poor in spirit does not mean poor spirited. Okay, it doesn't mean that, that we, just, we just say, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff wrong with me. And, and there are some spiritual truths and I'll just believe them so that I can receive these blessings right? Um, no, when we, when we experience the truth of what the Bible says about us, we realize that those truths ought to affect us deeply. I can remember as a young man reading the Bible and, and seeing the demands on the life of the believer and looking at the, uh, looking at the call to live a holy life and thinking, if this is true, what the Bible says about Jesus. If this man, Jesus, died and then was, was raised to life again, then everything about the way I'm living my life must change. If I say, I believe this, my sins went on to Christ. He gives me his righteousness, and I am now called to, to walk in a way that is pleasing to him because of his great love for me, not to earn his love, but because of his love, then, then, then everything has to change. I have to live like this is true. It's not cheap grace. It's not just saying, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, punch my card, have my sins forgiven, and then go out and live any way I want. No. Poverty of spirit is not being poor-spirited. Poverty of spirit is also not being spiritually poor. It's not saying, well, you know, I'm just a wretched sinner, and so I can't control myself. I can't, I can't do anything to change me, you know. You guess you're just going to have to live with me, world. You know, I'm a sinner. That's what the Bible says. Revelation 3, 17, this is what Jesus says. He's speaking to a church, and he says, You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There's a way of, of looking at ourselves in relation to God and saying, Since... Since I am a sinner, I can do nothing to change my life. That's not having poverty of spirit. That's being spiritually poor. Poverty of spirit is not being poor in things. It's not being poor, materially speaking. There is a special care in God's heart for the poor. He does care for the poor. But poverty in and of itself is not a virtue. Just as wealth in and of itself, is not evil. It is whether or not, as John was saying earlier, whether or not we love 
those riches, whether or not we cling to them as our security and our righteousness that determines whether wealth and possessions are evil. So what is poverty of spirit? We've said what it's not. Let's say what it is. To be poor in spirit, I believe that, that, that of all the things that Jesus will say next, that this is the first for a reason. When we, when we look at who God is and we look at who we are, poverty of spirit is the, it's the fire that cooks the stew. Okay, it's the, it's the energy from man's view. It's the need that we have that cries out to God and says, I need you. I need your help. I need for you to change me. I need for you to transform me. It's, it's when we pull back the, the sheet, the protection that covers us and say, these are my resources. And we realize that there is nothing there. And we cry out to God and say, help me. Is poverty of spirit humility? Is that what it is? No. Poverty of spirit looks inward and, and sees nothing of value, spiritually speaking. Nothing that, that God would say, oh, there's something that I can reward. There's something good. There's something valuable. <clears throat> Poverty of spirit looks inward and says, I need God. And humility, humble thinking and humble behavior is the result of that. So poverty of spirit is not humility. Poverty of spirit is also not self-denial. Being poor in spirit says this, I am a sinner, and until I have Christ, I have nothing. My self-righteousness is nothing. Self-denial says this, everything else in my life can go, but I will keep Christ. Christ is what I, what I need. I need the Lord. Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Luke. He tells this story. He's telling a parable because there are people who are looking in themselves and saying, I am blessed. I am in right relationship with God. They, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they therefore treated others with contempt. They looked around and they said, I'm better than those people. I, I, I know that I've got a relationship with God and I'm good. And they're not good. I am superior to them. So Jesus tells this story to them. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a, a Pharisee, this is a, uh, a religious, recognized religious leader, and the other was a tax collector. The Phar Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What's interesting about this is that Pharisees generally prayed out loud so other people could hear them. So he's praying, and he's pointing out this other guy, and he's saying, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of all that I get. But the other guy, the tax collector, stood far off. I believe that's from the temple. He's in the temple, but he's not, he's not approaching near because he doesn't dare because he knows that he is sinful. The, the, the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
And Jesus says that one of them went home justified. One of them went home in a right relationship with God, um, having his sins forgiven. And it's the tax collector, not the professional religious guy. Why? Because he recognized that when it comes to pleasing God, that he had nothing to offer. Imagine that the, that the kings and queens and citizens of the earth assemble to come and to purchase with all of their resources and all of the riches that they have, the latest and greatest thing, entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Imagine a store opened up and someone was there selling access to heaven. And a guy goes in and says, I'm a local church pastor and I've kind of scraped some money together. I brought a I thousand brought dollars. Can I enter? salesman says no so he leaves and then a local business owner shows up and says I've, I've taken the, the liquid assets that I've got um, we made a withdrawal from the bank and so I'm here I got $25,000 can I, can I enter in to, to heaven the salesman would say no I'm a, I'm a philanthropist I give, I give money to many, many people. I give enormous amounts of money away to charities. I, I, I sold some things and I brought, came and I brought a million dollars. Can I enter? No. But someone who knows themselves and who knows their own sense of righteousness walks in and says, this is what I have and opens their hand and there's nothing in it says, is this enough? And the answer is yes. That's the price. That's what, what we need. We need to realize that we have nothing. We need to look inside of our own spirits and, and ask the question, do I have what it takes to satisfy and please the demands of a righteous and holy God? And when we say, no, I do not, we have exactly what we need. That's the foundation of a relationship with God is, is realizing our own brokenness, realizing our own, uh, our, our, that, that in our account of, of what God should look at and respect, that we have a zero balance. Why, why is this, this poverty the, the key that opens the door to blessedness? Because it's the heart attitude that pleases God because of our sinfulness. The Bible teaches us that, that those who are poor in spirit are unimpressed with themselves. God is God, right? God is the, the blessed and righteous one, and we are the ones who are separated from him by our sins, and we are the ones who need his righteousness and holiness to change us. And so for us to come to him impressed with ourselves and say, see me, is to appeal to him on the wrong basis. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 131, verse 1. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul. That's someone who approaches God on the basis of humility. Not impressed with the self, but aware of himself. And saying, Lord, here I am. Poverty of spirit, addressing our own spiritual bankruptcy, makes us admire Christ. 
It makes us admire Jesus, the Savior. Jesus came and lived a righteous life. The Bible says that he never committed any sins. He fully uh, uh, obeyed the demands of God's law and lived in a way that, that pleased God. God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so we look to him and we say, that is impressive. And my track record is not impressive. We see Jesus as the superior one. This is what Paul says, that his desire in Philippians 3.9 was to be found in him, in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from, from being obedient, because, because that doesn't work. The Bible says if we, if we keep the whole law but break it in one point, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing, right? If I were to take something nice and sweet in our house, have you ever heard anyone say, this is why we can't have nice things, you know, like we break everything. If I were to take our wedding picture, right, hang on the wall, and I were to, to take it out of the frame and to take a thumbtack and put a hole like right in my eyeball, right in the picture. Children of mine, this does not happen. And then Nancy were to see it and say like, what, what happened here? And it's just like, it's just one hole, right? You've still ruined it. Everyone who sees it is gonna be like, what's up right there? Like it's, it's busted. Um, if, if we ruin ourselves, if we tarnish our holiness in one place, we are ruined. And so Paul says that his desire is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from obedience because he failed in obedience, but instead he wants a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. The good news of the gospel is this, that we can say, I have failed, I have messed up, I have not lived in a way that, that God would be pleased with, and therefore, I believe that God has promised, I believe in the reality of God's promise that, that when, I, when I look to Christ and say, that's what I need, God, make me righteous with his righteousness. I believe that you will give it to me if I ask for it, that you will, that you will put all of his righteousness in my account. And then you will accept me then we are seeing things clearly. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson, who schooled me on this this week, it's, he's, he's just, his writing on this is amazing. Uh, no single author I've ever read can squeeze more pages of good content out of like two or three words than this guy. He says, if your hand is full of pebbles, then you have no room to hold any gold. And so, if we are going to possess the righteousness of Christ, if God is going to give it to us, the, the heart that cries out, I need righteousness, comes with empty hands and says, I have nothing. Fill me. Can't have anything in your hands. Why? Because you need both hands empty to hold all that's going to be given to you. Poverty of spirit admires Christ. Poverty of spirit is being lowly in heart. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Wow. 
You can do everything. You can do ev- I can do all things. Paul is this omnicompetent human being, right? You know, I can see him dunking, you know? I can see him baking. I can see him, uh, you know, uh, closing a deal. I can see him doing all this stuff, but he's, that's not what he's saying. He says, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. He's got a, a low view of his own ability, but a very high view of what God can and will do through him. He knows that his life is not his own, that, that the power that he lives by, that the power in which he stands in a right relationship with God is not his either. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, um, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about how, how, um, how other people who were preaching and teaching the gospel uh, lived. Paul says he worked harder than them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Those who are poor in spirit take Christ on his own terms. Philippians 3.8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ. When we are poor in spirit, we say, okay, Jesus, I want to be found in you. I want your righteousness, and I have... I have I've held on to a few things. I've held on to, to this attitude or this behavior or I've kept this area of my life locked away because I, I, don't, I don't want to give this up. But sooner or later, he comes for it. And if we are poor in spirit, we will say, yes, I give this up. I give that up too. I, I, give, I give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of you and whatever you ask for, I give to you. Instead of saying, that's not the deal we made. I get to go to heaven and then live any way that I want. That's being arrogant and proud toward God who is willing to give us all if we trust in him by faith. Poverty of spirit also celebrates grace. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1:14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Why, why is this the key that opens the door? Because this kind of poverty makes us rich. This poverty is the key to opening the door. When we acknowledge that we have nothing in our bank account and that we cannot earn the, the favor and love and righteousness of God, we can't, we can't buy it. We realize we don't have enough currency for it. And then we say, there's a giant pile of money over here sitting waiting for us. If we will say, I don't, I don't deserve that. It's not mine. I have no right to it. But if you will give it to me, I will take it. And God says, here is Christ. Here are spiritual blessings. There's a story that's told about um, a monkey, right? And the monkey uh, sees that there's a jar that is full of different kinds of, of fruit that he desires to eat, right? 
So he puts his hand down to the jar and he says, he says, that's what I need. I need that in order to live. This is the way we are with our things and our behaviors and our, our thoughts and our, our idols. We hold on to them. But here's the thing. When the monkey tries to take his hand out while he's holding that piece of fruit, it's, it's too big to come out with the fruit still in his hand. That's the way we are. We, are, we have got, we want, we want to be in right relationship with God. We want, to be, we want to be clean. We want to be pure. We want to be accepted. But simultaneously, so often, we also want to be the commander of our own destiny. We want what we want. We want to be respected or loved or any of these things that we say, I will not submit and serve and follow. I won't let this go because it's too important to me. And until we do, we can't put out our hand and receive what's being given to us. In the Christian life, poverty of spirit is our nobility because we are able to say, all I have is Christ. That's one of the songs that we sing here. All I have is Christ. But when all that we have is Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Bible teaches us that poverty of spirit stills the storms in our lives. We can look in the midst of any crisis, any difficulty, any struggle and say, my God will supply every need of mine according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. Jesus teaches his people, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are presently blessed and they currently possess the kingdom. What good news. What good news for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have, who have said, I will take you on your own terms, Jesus. I acknowledge what you say about me and I acknowledge what you say you will do for me. I want what you are offering me. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be in right relationship with you. The Bible says that the poor in spirit are blessed and that the kingdom is theirs. What we, what we realize about poverty of spirit, about acknowledging our own spiritual emptiness and coming to God, is that unless we are poor in spirit, we cannot receive God's grace. It's not like people who, who are, kind of have their lives together or who have their lives 85% together spiritually can receive grace. Unless your account says zero, you can't. Listen to what Jesus says about his own mission. Isaiah 61.1, this is a, a, a scripture that Jesus quoted when he, was, when he was reading in a synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If we are not brokenhearted, he will not bind us up. If we are not poor, there is no good news for us. Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard it, what the, what the Pharisees were saying, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, do you need the grace that comes from the great physician? Well, First, you have to acknowledge that you're sick, right? Sick with the disease of sin. Have any of you ever gone into the doctor 
and said, like, here I am. And they're like, well, what are you doing here? And you're like, I have no idea. Just figured I'd come in. No. When do you go, right? You go and you're like, there's blood coming out of my eyeball. What's up with that? Right? You know, I've got this, you know, ah, uh, uh, and then the doctor's like, let me hit you with that and take your temperature, right? I came, Jesus says, not to call the righteous, but sinners. There are no righteous people, righteous in and of themselves in God's kingdom. Only sinners. Until we are poor in spirit, we cannot receive grace. Until we are poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. In the book of Zechariah, we see an image of, of what every single person looks like. The high priest is, is standing before the temple, I mean before the altar, and the Bible says that he's covered, this is a vision, he's covered in dung, in excrement, and he's standing there, and Satan is accusing him, and God says, I mean, imagine if this was you, if you've ever been covered in mud or covered in dirt, or you've been working out in the yard and like stuff has fallen on you, you got that itchy back feeling, you know, you're like, I got to, after you get a haircut, right? You know, you're like, I got to get, I got to get clean. I got to, I got to get this off of me. That's what you'd be like if you were in that condition. Purify me, help me, give me clean garments. And the angel says to Joshua, to the angels surrounding him, remove the filthy garments from him. And then he says this, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure clothing. When we realize that we're poor in spirit, we say, somebody needs to help me. And we look around and all we see is Christ who can help. And then he's precious to us. Because we need that help. He's the only one who will help us. Till we are poor in spirit, we cannot go to heaven, right? The Bible says that, that there's, it's easier for a rich man, uh, or it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven, right? And then the disciples say, well, who, who can be saved? Think about this. You, you, you might be thinking, no, I, I, can't, I, can't, um, I can't put a camel through an eye of a needle. Well, sure you can, if you just break that camel down into its parts, Right? And then you can, you can put it through the eye of the needle. It's, it's too big. No, it needs to be made low. We, we look at Christ and we suddenly realize I am so small in comparison to him. He is righteous and I am sinner. God is holy and I am not. And when we hit that point where we say, I can't do anything to be righteous in God's sight. There's no way that I can save myself. I am in serious trouble. It's then when we're small enough and low enough to fit through the keyhole and to receive the blessings that God gives us in Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a realization that we make looking at the goodness and righteousness of Christ. When we are blessed, I mean, when we are poor in spirit, we are blessed. God gives the kingdom of heaven to us as he gives us Christ. And we have this kingdom today. The Bible says that the kingdom is within. Luke 17, 21. Look, uh, Jesus says that one day um, people won't look and say, look, here's the kingdom, or there's the kingdom, because the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's within you. 
We have a kingdom reward. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? And the kingdom is invisible, but it is, it is here and it can be experienced now. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We have been given a kingdom if we are poor in spirit. Not because we earned it, but because God's character is such that he gives it to those who realize that they do not deserve it, that they cannot earn it, but that it is given by him and to those who realize that they need him to be gracious with them. The good news about the kingdom is that it cannot be shaken, it is secure, and it will, it will never pass away. 2 Peter 1.11 says this, In this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The kingdom is stable. In Revelation 21.25, the Bible says that the gates of God's city will never be closed. That, they're, that, they're, that the gates will never be shut because the kingdom is secure. There are no enemies who can destroy it. Hebrews 12:28 says that we ought to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we have the very righteousness of God given to us, the Holy Spirit of God placed in us, which will never be removed, we can never, ever, ever lose it. It will never go away. We will always be secure. That is good news. We will always be children of God. So, if you're here this morning and, and you're thinking, okay, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I've got this. I, I, don't, I don't understand. This is what I would say to you. If there is something in your heart, in your spirit inside, you're saying, what's keeping me from, from receiving this, from, from coming to Christ, is my own desires or, or, or me saying, I'm not that bad or... I'm not that big of a sinner, I would say this. The Bible is very clear on this. Do not trade away the reward. Do not trade away the, the blessing of knowing God for sin or pride or to exalt yourself. Don't do it. Don't. Because, because those who resist God, who do not delight in his law and delight in his way, Psalm 1 says, are wicked and they will be swept away one day. It will come. It will happen. So let me encourage you to acknowledge your own sin and say, I have nothing to offer God except the fact that I am poor and in complete and total need. And the good news of the, that the scriptures teach us is that he will give us all that we need. If you are a Christian, know that there is a kingdom that is yours. And so labor for it. Work hard at it. Luke 12, 37 says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, listen to this, this is crazy. If it weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is the master who comes and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. We're to remain awake and to work hard for the kingdom, sharing the gospel, living lives of, of humble, loving service to honor God because he 
gave us what we need. We have all that we have comes from him. We did not deserve a bit of it. And so the response is not to be good, but to live and walk in grace. And so walk worthy of the kingdom, not to earn it, but because of it. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then finally, remember this. Whether you believe the gospel or whether you don't, that the great love of God is the foundation of the gospel and that he delights when we come and we say, I'm a sinner, I need grace, he's not like, finally, ugh, what's wrong with you? No, nope, the offer's closed. No, nope, no grace for you. That's not, that's not God's attitude. And when we, when we realize we've failed and we come to Christ and we say, I've failed again, I am, I am sorry, Lord. Is, is your grace ever new? Do you have more grace for me today? He says, he does. This is what Jesus says in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so we ought to celebrate this fact that all we need to do to receive salvation and blessing and relationship with God is to acknowledge our own poverty. It's amazing. No other institution in the world works this way. The guy wouldn't let me out of the lot up at the library this week until I went and, and, and walked. I had to walk all the way downtown. I found Susan at Cakeart and said, I need to borrow a dollar to get out of the lot because there's no ATM downtown. No grace there at the parking lot, right? You know, I acknowledged my poverty. I said, I have nothing. What can you do for me? He said, got to find a dollar. Yeah. We come to Jesus and we say, I have nothing. I've sinned. I have failed miserably. Would you show me grace? And he says, yes. What's not to love, right? Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning uh, who are feeling like they are not in right relationship to you because they have sinned and they think, how can God love me? I've sinned again. That's the gospel. The righteousness of Christ given to us. There might be some here this morning thinking, I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been far from God in my life. How could God love me when I've done these things? That is the good news of the gospel. When we acknowledge that we have nothing to offer, we're exactly where we need to be to receive. There may be some this morning who, who are saying, me? Can you, can you really promise grace to me? Jesus promises grace to you. So my encouragement to you is to receive it. Christian, perhaps you have forgotten uh, how much grace you have been shown and how much you've received. Let me encourage you to search your heart and look and see that all the good works that you've ever done have been inspired by God's grace, have been powered by God's grace, and that you acknowledging your own poverty in spirit can look to Christ again and see him as precious and holy and enjoy and delight in him again. He is our solution, our foundation, our cure, our savior, our healer. He is all that we have. He's our righteousness. Celebrate him today.
let's uh, stand and sing this song together as we close out praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you.